0: Hi Online Church family, I'm so glad that you could meet with us here. We're about to go into a preach that I delivered recently and I really hope this blesses you, it inspires you, it takes you further in your walk with God. That's my heart for you as you watch this. And if it really does bless you, why don't you go ahead and share it with someone who you think needs to hear it. Um, Make sure you click like and subscribe so you don't miss any of our messages here that we upload weekly and um, jump in the chat so we can connect with you as well so you're not a stranger. So sit back and enjoy. I hope that you get blessed. Are you ready this morning? Oh, Do you know what day it is today? Other than Sunday, which Sunday is it? It's Palm Sunday. It's the day that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey and people laid out palm branches. It's literally the Sunday before Resurrection Sunday. Did you know a lot can happen in a week? Anyone ever had one of those weeks That's just like, what just happened? Like a whirlwind. A lot can happen in a week. Sometimes my weeks are just like, same old, same old, like, you know, just week in, week out. Other times I'm like, what day is it? And what just happened? And at the moment, my life is a little bit like that. A lot can happen in one week. Well, these guys, they were welcoming Jesus in. They didn't realize what was gonna happen in the week ahead. We are coming into Passion Week this week. This Thursday is Passover, Friday is Good Friday, Easter Sunday is the reason we worship every other Sunday and every day of the week, it's Resurrection Sunday. Without Resurrection Sunday, there is no Christianity. And this is the amazing week of Passion Week. So we're gonna um, read together and then I'm gonna unpack a few thoughts. So Palm Sunday, I'm gonna read out of Luke 19, which will be on the scripture on the screens behind, Luke 19, 28 to 40, out of the New King James Version, it says this. When Jesus had said this, whatever he was previously saying, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethpage and Bethany on the Mount called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you where you will enter Uh, Where, as you enter, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? You shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing this colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Then when they brought him to Jesus, uh, then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they sat Jesus on Him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then, as he was drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began rejoicing and praising God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they'd seen, saying: Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered them and said to them, I tell you that if these would, should keep quiet, even the stones would immediately cry out. What an amazing spectacle this was. Jesus turns up to Jerusalem and everyone decides to honour his arrival. They get a donkey, they lay out their cloaks and palm branches and welcome him into Jerusalem and they have no idea what's just about to take place. They're just impressed with what they've seen him do and so they think he's worthy of this you know, celebration. They've seen him do signs and wonders and so they lay out a red carpet for him into town. And so I'm going to share with you five keys out of my own life, and this title of my message is simple. Lessons from a donkey and palm leaves. Lessons from donkeys and palm leaves, very simple. You know what? Lessons from a donkey and palm leaves. Donkeys are not the most extravagant of animals, are they? And so I personally relate to a donkey. Anyone else? Anyone else relate? And so I love this account and I pray that that the Word of God settles in our spirits this morning as we go through it. The first thought is this. We are loosed for a purpose. We're loosed for a purpose. In verse 30 it says, Go into the village opposite where you are and when you enter you'll find a colt that's tied up which no one has ever sat on. Loose it and bring it here. And if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? You shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. We are loosed. The cult was loosed, but it was commissioned. And we live in a generation, actually, humanity all through history has said, don't you tell me what to do. I want to do what I want to do. And we love the concept of freedom and we think that freedom means no boundaries and no limitations. But you only have to look at the societies and the neighbourhoods where there are no boundaries and no limitations and you will quickly recognise that it's complete anarchy. It's why the world is the way that it is. Because without boundaries, things go crazy. Just imagine a road, a highway going across a bridge over a deep ravine. Now imagine that bridge having no guardrails. And you're going, you know, it's the Autobahn, so you can go whatever speed you want, and there are no guardrails over it. It's crazy. There are always guardrails, why? It's not a true question, why? to keep you safe, to keep you safe. But the world says, no, no, no boundaries. I wanna go 150 kilometers an hour with no boundaries. But the guardrails exist to keep us safe so that we don't go over the edge. And so boundaries actually are very healthy for us. The absence of boundaries is not freedom. The absence of boundaries leads to a whole other type of bondage. That's why we have addiction to drugs and pornography and crime and chaos is because people are wanting to be free and yet become enslaved to even worse. They become enslaved and under different types of bondage. Without boundary, it's chaos. In Proverbs 29, 18, it says, without vision, people perish. It says that without vision, people wander aimlessly and cast off restraint. But vision and purpose is like the guardrails on the side of the motorway that keeps us going and keeps us safe. If you take a young child and allow them to eat whatever they want and sleep whenever they want, you're gonna have a very, very distressed young person. Boundaries allow a child to thrive and we actually never grow out of that. Boundaries are healthy and so I've learned that yes, Jesus looses us but he does it for a purpose. He doesn't loose us and then just let us go, he does it because there's a plan and a purpose and there's actually greater freedom in his purposes than our own. Let me say that again. There's greater freedom in His purposes than our own. I preach a message called The Bonds That Free Us. Did you know you can put bonds on your life that actually bring you freedom? You can attach yourself to things that bring you freedom. In 1 Corinthians 7, verse 22, for those taking notes, Paul says, I'm simply trying to point out that under your new master, you're going to experience a marvelous freedom that you have never dreamt of. Under your new master, Jesus, you're gonna experience a marvelous freedom that you never dreamed of. In the NLT, it says it like this, if you were free when the Lord called you, you are now a slave to Christ. Think about it, a slave to Christ. Paul, when he's writing to the church in Rome, Romans 1, verse 1, the very first verse of the very first chapter, to perhaps the most idolatrous church in the New Testament that have just come out of Greek ideology, he opens it this way I, Paul, a bond servant of Jesus Christ on assignment. He intentionally binds himself to Christ on assignment. And he finds freedom being attached to Christ, a devoted slave of Jesus Christ on assignment. Know this, my friend. That Jesus Christ looses you from your previous master, from your previous Lord, from your previous chains, but He looses you for a purpose. And then we choose to be bound to Him and bound to His ways and plans, and there's freedom in that. There's a marvellous freedom in that. Number two, and if you're living for Jesus, actually, like if you're actually a real Christian, all right, because there are Christians, and then there are real Christians. If you're a real Christian, this next point will be the story of your life. Being misunderstood is normal. Anyone? Give me a wave. Oh, give me a wave, loud and proud. Yep. I hear you, Carolina. I wanna tell you, when you live for Jesus, being misunderstood is normal. It is a part of your life, being misunderstood. Verse 33, as they were loosing the colt, the owners said to them, why are you loosing the colt? Verse 34, and they said, the Lord has need of him. That's not an answer. But it's all they could give. Because the Lord has need of him. I marvel at this story. I love it so much because of the simplicity of that statement. Because the Lord has need of him. I can't tell you how many times in my life that was my underwhelming, foolish response to people who said, why are you living like that? Because the Lord has need of my life? What do you mean you're not clubbing with us anymore? Because now I serve on a Sunday and the Lord has need of my Saturday night so that I can give my best. You are waiting until you're married before you sleep with him? Why? Because the Lord has need of my purity? What do you mean you're throwing away your two degrees to go into ministry and earn peanuts? Sorry, Dad. Dad. Because the Lord has need of it. Anyone? Had those conversations? I don't know how many times I've been asked by a colleague or a friend, even family members, why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? And my response is as underwhelming as theirs was because the Lord has need of it. Full stop. Full stop because the Lord has need of it, and you're going to be misunderstood. People will not understand why you're living the way you're living. They will not. Can I tell you why they won't? In 1 Corinthians 2.14, it says, but the people who are not spiritual cannot receive the truths of God's Spirit. They just don't understand. They won't until they're filled with the Spirit the way that you are but do you know what, you're not accountable to them. You're accountable to Jesus. Oh, I remember so clearly, so clearly, my parents moved here from Poland, post-communist Poland, wanting to give us the future and the life they could never have. They literally fled, not speaking the language, landed here and worked hard. Welcomed here, but worked hard was not an easy life. And I was told growing up, you're going to go to university because we didn't come here for nothing. You're gonna to go to uni. And so I went to uni and in the process of time, we became Christians, mom and us three girls, but my dad was not saved and our family was broken down. And when I finished my two degrees and announced to my dad that I was going to, into ministry, he was less than impressed. What do you mean you're going to do that? What do you mean you're going to throw that all away? Everything we've done, all the dreams we had. No, he wasn't a Christian and he was not a fan. He is now, but back then, the conversations were quite hostile. And all I could say was, Dad, I'm sorry, I just know I need to do this. 20 years later, things look very different. Now that he is a believer, he's like, ah. But at the time, being misunderstood was normal for a very long time and I couldn't expect him to understand I couldn't expect my work colleagues to understand the friends I used to run with on a Saturday night in the valley I couldn't expect them to understand anymore I had to just say well the Lord has use of my life he's gripped me He has use of my life. And do you know what I've realized? Is that they may not throw down palm branches immediately, but I suspect from my own experience and for you is that eventually they will. Eventually, because the ways of God lead to prosperity and blessing, eventually your life speaks. Your life speaks. Eventually those palm branches will go down. Number three, are you with me? Number three, my status is his red carpet. It says in verse 35, They brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes and their cloaks on the road. Another gospel and a different translation says that they made Jesus the center of the celebration and that they laid palm branches and cloaks out right through the main road of town, like a carpet, a red carpet for Jesus to ride on. And so he's riding through town as the center of the profession. Now I looked up how many times the word cloak is mentioned in scripture, and it's mentioned 78 times in scripture. And some of you may recall, if you think back now, the times that you've read it in Scripture. So we know that it was Elijah and Elisha who used their cloak to strike the river to part the water. We know that it was, that it was um, the beggars who had beggars' cloaks, that they would sit on mats outside temples and city gates, and they had a cloak that identified them as a beggar. We know that um, in Scripture, people would use their cloaks as security for loans. We know that the scripture says if someone asks for your shirt, give him your tunic also. It was a sign of status. We know that Joseph was envied by his brothers because his dad made him the cloak of many colours which was better than their cloaks. We know that the guards and the Roman soldiers gambled for Jesus' cloak at the cross. Cloaks were actually a sign of status. If you walked through town with a bright purple cloak, you were somebody. But if you were begging with a brown torn cloak, you were a nobody. And so depending on the value of your cloak, you could even use it as a down payment, as a security for a loan. It was a sign of status, kind of like at the, you know, these days, all the letters that come after someone's name on their email footer. That's what a cloak was. It was the status. It was the status. It was who they were. And yet we see them taking off their cloaks and putting them on the dust for a donkey to mess on. My status, my title, my accomplishments are his red carpet. And if they're not, there's something wrong. In Philippians 7, I love how Paul writes about this. You know, let me tell you a little bit about Paul. So, Paul was trained by the best Pharisee, the most well known scholar. His name was originally Saul, and he was known by everyone as the guy who knew the stuff. There was no one above him as far as Jewish law and education. He had the most letters after his name. He was the top guy in his game. And so everyone knew who Saul was, except that one day, listen, this guy with all the profile and status had an encounter with the Spirit of God. One day. He had an encounter with the Spirit of God. And that's what will change your life. We all need encounters. We can't manufacture this. We have to have encounters. When he had that encounter, he was transformed. And he writes to the book in Philippi, in Philippians 3, verse seven to 11, the message version. And the very credentials that these people are waving around as something special I'm tearing up and throwing out with the trash, along with everything else I used to take credit for. Why? Because of Christ. Yes, all the things I once thought were so important are gone from my life, compared to the high privilege of knowing Christ Jesus as my master firsthand. Everything I once thought I had going for me is insignificant dog dung. I've dumped it all on the trash so that I can embrace Christ and be embraced by Him. I don't want, oh the cry of my heart, I don't want some petty, inferior brand of righteousness that comes from keeping a list of rules when I can get the real robust kind that comes from trusting Christ, God's righteousness. I gave up all that inferior stuff so that I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner in his suffering, and go all the way with him to death itself. If there was any way to get in on the resurrection from the dead, I wanted in on it. Okay, I'm excited about you. I don't know if anyone else is. Mark is. Everything I once had, he says, I count as loss. It means nothing in comparison to knowing Christ personally and intimately. I lay it all aside. I realize it's worth nothing. I lay it out for Him to ride in on. I lay it out as a carpet for Him to lie in, ride in on. I wanna ask you, what are you willing to lay down for Jesus? More pointed, what are you not willing to lay down for Jesus? I often remember Jesus interacting with a man called the rich young ruler, who, like the rest of us, thinks he's a pretty good guy. You know what? I've ticked all the boxes, crossed all the T's, dotted all the I's. I'm a good person. Jesus, what else do I need to do? And Jesus puts his finger on that one thing that he didn't wanna give up. We all have it. I wanna ask you, what's yours? It's different for everyone. But he put his finger on the one thing that this young guy was holding back. This one thing, and it says in Matthew 19, 22 to 24, and that was the last thing the young man expected to hear. And so, crestfallen, he walked away. He was holding on tight to a lot of things and he couldn't bear to let go. As Jesus watched him go, he told his disciples, do you have any idea how difficult it is for the rich to enter God's kingdom? Let me tell you, it's easier to gallop a camel through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter God's kingdom. What's that one thing that Jesus is putting his finger on in your life? I know I have it, I have to deal with it daily. God, I, I wanna surrender it to you, it's yours. I give it to you, I trust you. What's the one thing? And what do we do with it? We surrender it in worship. We surrender it in worship. What they were doing was worshipping. They were laying a carpet of celebration for Him with their status. They were laying down their source of pride and validation and identity. They were laying it all down as worship to Him. We see it in Revelation. In Revelation, Four, it says, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to Him who sits on the throne, it's a picture of heaven. The 24 status holding, high profile elders fall down before Him and worship Him, and they cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive honor and power, and you created all things, and by your will they exist. My status and your status needs to be something we lay down daily as a carpet for Jesus to ride into our lives and into the world around us. Number four, worship can't be restrained. It can't be restrained. It says he answered them, even if these guys stop calling out worship, the rocks are gonna cry out. Do you know we were all designed to worship something? In Ecclesiastes 3.11, it says that He puts eternity in the hearts of all men. What that means is we have a God-shaped hole on the inside of us that only God can fill. And that's why there's so much craziness out there is because we have this void and everyone is adamant to refuse that that void can be filled with Jesus. And so they try filling it with everything, which is why we have addictions and hurt and pain and broken families and all sorts of things because we're trying to stuff a square peg in a round hole. But God has put eternity on the hearts of all men. We're all designed to worship something. You are worshipping always. You only have to go to Suncorp Stadium on a State of Origin night to know that we're all designed to worship. Guys, guys, if you are on your feet calling out for your team in Suncorp Stadium but standing in church on a Sunday with your mouth shut and your arms folded, there's something wrong. There is something desperately wrong. We're all designed to worship and we all do worship. Show me your bank account and your diary and I'll tell you what you worship. Let me sit with you for half an hour and hear the confession of your heart and I'll tell you what you worship. We're all designed to worship. We have opportunities all day every day to worship a living God. Can you come into his presence and stretch out your arms and tilt your head back, open your mouth and release a sound that exalts him? All honour, all glory, all praise, all power and majesty is yours, God. Lord, I honour you, I worship you. I set you high, I exalt you above everything that is vying for my attention and my devotion and my affection, God. I abandon myself before you. I worship you, Lord, living God, living God. I set my affection on you and you alone. Lord, let it not be said in heaven that the rocks did a better job than me. Lord, let me be the loudest person in the throne room. Let me clap louder and jump higher and stretch further and kneel deeper and fall on my face before you, God. Let me be that person. Let it be said of me, she was a worshipper. She was a worshipper. And she walked through the valley of the shadow of death, but she worshipped. She told her soul who her God was. She told her darkness who her God was. And she worshipped. And when she stood on the mountain, she gave thanks to God. Oh, that she stretched out her heart and surrendered her life day after day after day. And she put Him on the throne everywhere, every conversation, every encounter. He was her only pursuit and she worshiped. Let it be said of me. Let it be said of me, let it be said of you. Worship won't be restrained, you will give it somewhere. Who are you gonna give it to? What are you gonna give it to today? We need to exalt Him. And the last point is this, expect something big whenever Jesus is involved. He's always understated. That's what I love about Jesus. He's so, I know people like this, and I've learned over time to listen carefully to every word they say, cause they're dripping with wealth, but they're not Shiny. They don't jump up and down in front of you. Jesus was like that. He was always understated. But I want to tell you, always have a sense of suspicion when Jesus is involved. Always have a sense of expectation when Jesus is involved. How much expectation? Bigger than you would naturally have. Always expect something big whenever Jesus is involved. He took a donkey. relate to a donkey. I'm sorry this morning if you feel like a big black stallion galloping across green pastures and rolling hills. You know, you see them, don't you? You're driving through Sanford and the white fence and the rolling green hills and the black stallion. I don't relate to the black stallion. I do relate to the ass. right that a right to say in church? The donkey. An inexperienced donkey at that. Never been ridden before. High risk. High risk. Donkeys are stubborn. They're strong. Strong-willed. High risk. Let's take a donkey that has never been ridden before. I'll ride in on that. I'll ride into Easter week, into God's holy city on a donkey, not a black stallion. Can anyone relate? I can relate. I can relate. Paul, of all people, in 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26 to 31 says this, Take a good look, friends, at who you were when you got called into this life. I don't see many of the brightest and the best among you, not many influential, not many from high society families. Isn't it obvious that God deliberately chose men and women that culture overlooks and exploits and abuses, and chose nobodies to expose the hollow pretensions of the somebodies? That makes it quite clear that none of you can get by without with blowing your own horn before God. Everything we have, Right thinking and right living, a clean slate and a fresh start, it comes from God by way of Jesus. That's why we have this saying, if you're gonna blow a horn, then blow a trumpet for God. Oh, my goodness. He rides in on donkeys. I so relate. I so relate. He takes the foolish things of this world to confound the wise. Hey, everyone. Have a look at what I'm gonna do with Carolina. Carolina. Have a look at what I'm going to do with Dan. Definitely Gordon. Have a look at what I'm going to do with these ones as I ride in on their lives. Because he takes the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. So always expect something big whenever Jesus is involved.